0: Every year, there's a headline or two, I'll notice on Yahoo or other places, uh, where there are new words that are added to the dictionary, like the Webster's Dictionary, or sometimes just the Urban Dictionary, which is like the street dictionary of sorts, of culture words. And sometimes these words are out there, and I try to guess when I see the headlines what the definition of these words actually is. So I want to give you a chance to... Learn something new today. Maybe there are some words that I'm gonna show you in a few seconds that you already know because you were just culturally in touch already. You just have a, your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world. Have you ever played the game Boulder Dash before? It's essentially you, you get a word and you try to guess the definition. we are gonna play with your neighbor right now, okay? I'm gonna throw a word on the screen. Maybe it's a new word for you. Intoxication. See if you can guess what this word intoxication means. You can write it down. You can just share with your neighbor, if you, if you would. Intaxication. I'd never heard of it. All right, you, you got your guess? All right, here it is. Here's what it means. The euphoric feeling you get when you receive a tax refund that lasts until you realize it was your money to begin with. There it is. Maybe you've been, you've been feeling intoxicated lately. Uh, here's this word, blame storming. Blame storming. What does blame storming mean? Got it? Guesses? Shake so your head, help me out. All right, this is what it actually means. It means sitting in a circle, probably in a work environment, deciding who to blame and for failures, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. It was their fault. It's not brainstorming. It's blamestorming. All right, how about this one? Uh, Destinesia. Have you ever suffered from Destinesia before? What does Destinesia mean? I'll give you a hint. It has nothing to do with Indonesia. Destinesia. All right, maybe you've had this happen to you before. It's happened to me before. You go somewhere, and then you get there, you go, what am I doing here? I'm here for a reason, but I don't know what that reason is. It's Destinesia. There you go. These are real words, by the way. I did not come up with these. All right? How about this word? Unlightening. 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 You have to say it lots of times if you're from South Carolina. Unenlightening. Unlightening, you got it. Here's the definition: learning something that actually makes you dumber. <laughs> that was unlightening. What you just shared. It sounds like a quote from Billy Madison. Uh, how about this one? Jugger snot. It only gets better, folks. The words only get better as we go. Juggersnot. Juggersnot. Any, any guesses from the audience? Juggersnots. Anybody? All right? Here we go. Juggersnot means a huge impending sneeze that you cannot prevent. Man, That was an intense juggersnot. How about endorsement? Endorsement. I, I happen to be an endorsement at this time of year. an endorsement. Got it? No? Yes? A person who prefers to explore the great indoors, especially when it's the Masters, opening day of baseball, and what else is happening? Oh, the NCAA Final Four uh, this weekend. How about this? Internest. What is an internest? Hmm. Internest. You can use any of these words, by the way, this week. Feel free. Internest. I I can guarantee there's some people that, that have an internest. This is the cozy sitting hibernation nest that you create when you're surfing the net at home. Kids have these internests where they're, you know, there. No, didn't nobody, yes, okay. Next one, after clap. What does after clap mean? Man, you guys, I felt it. I think you knew that one already. It's the, everybody claps. And there's that, that one guy He's like, you're that guy, aren't you? You're that girl that's like, I'm going to be the last person. I'm going to be the after clap person. All right, last one, sermolepsy, sermolepsy. Sermolepsy. You got this one, don't you? It's a condition in which a person falls asleep as soon as the sermon gets started. And I know that some of you suffer from this because I have observed it firsthand. And I did make up that word, uh, sermolepsy. There's some words that are, are new to us, they come out, some are, are old words uh, that maybe we, we, we've heard before, but there's a word that we're looking at for the next couple of weeks, we've been talking about it a lot, we've singing about it a lot, we've been praying about it a lot this morning. It's this word that you've probably heard a lot, grace, it's this word grace. And a lot of us, I'm sure, know what that word means, but What I want us to do for the next few weeks is really to lean in to what it's all about and to really listen and to connect what grace means for us. There's a word, another word, FOMO, FOMO, F-O-M-O, and that that means this, it's a fear of missing out. There's a fear of missing out. And I have that, I don't like to miss out on stuff in in life, but I think that there's a fear that's that is expressed in Hebrews this this way? It says that, "See to it that no one misses the grace of God." So it's this fear that that, that we won't get it, that you won't get it, that I won't get what grace really means. This counselor I heard, I heard him uh, write once, this many years ago. I was driven to the conclusion. This was at the end of his career, that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, to receive, and to live out God's unconditional grace. So I hope that in the next few weeks that we we really capture what this word means, that our hearts press into the heart of God and hear what grace uh, really means for us. August second, two 2010, maybe you remember turning on the the news that day, uh, a mine in northern Chile, it's uh, in the desert region, uh, suddenly there was an explosion. The, the rocks began to fall inside this deep cavernous copper mine there uh, in, in Chile. And we didn't know what was happening. We were seeing breaking news here and there. Personally, I began to think about Jessica McClure. Remember her back in the 80s? Remember we, we turned our television on to see this hopeful rescue of a little girl that was trapped in, in, in a mine here. I think it was maybe Midland, Texas or somewhere. Maybe you remember the town. But it was suddenly the world was, was watching this this cave this 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 place and this mine and uh, we find out that there are there's some folks that got out but there are other miners that're still trapped in days went by there was rescue uh, effort and just communication efforts from around the globe people were gathering hoping beyond hope that maybe possibly somehow some way these these men survived and after 17 days after the collapse there was a note that was attached. They, they put a little exploratory uh, boring unit into the, the area they were hoping that they possibly could be. And what came out? A note. And a note that said this, we are fine in the shelter, the 33 of us. All 33 miners were there in this 500 square foot area of this mine. And with only two days supply, they took that bit of food for 33 people. They they." They moved it out, and, and they took advantage of what they had for just the two days. On average, 18 pounds was lost per person during that time. They were huddled in this area. They, they said, and I read this, that for six hours after the collapse, almost all of the miners were, were blind because of the dust storm that was created, and they couldn't see. Can you imagine being in those conditions? I mean, I, we did a caving uh, trips when I was in uh, college in Trevecca in Tennessee would go to this cave that a friend of the, the church owned and you would go underground and it, the, the darkness that are in these caves it, it's frightening can you think about being in that kind of situation for days and days and people gathered around this, this area people from NASA people scientists from around the globe hoping and, and, and wanting for these miners to be rescued and we were glued could it be possible can we rescue these, these people? How are we going to rescue these people? Paul talks about the word grace a lot in, in his different letters in the word. And if you suffer from sermolepsia, I'm going to give you a little project that you can help you this morning. Just flip through all the, the letters of Paul from you know, Galatians, Ephesians, all these letters. Maybe count up how many times he uses this word Grace. And uh, you can give it to me afterwards if that helps. But he uses it over and over and over again. And kind of the centerpiece of this grace topic and this grace discussion is in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you'd, you'd flip there in your Bible, on your phone, if you don't have one, there's probably a Bible in front of you in, in your seat there. Ephesians chapter 2, and he says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, Now, we can't have a good conversation about grace without first talking about another word that we don't really like to talk about, do we? It's this word, sin. Now, when I hear that word sin, for whatever reason, there's just an image in my mind of the church lady from Saturday Night Live back in the 80s, all right? Do you remember the church lady? She would talk about sin and all the sinners that are there, and she, Dana Carvey, I think it was, who it was. but I just have that, just as soon as I hear that word, I just hear sin, and when we think about sin, we think about other people's sin, but we're not really, they're sinners, and they're, you know, sinners, there's not really, you know, sin. It's it really kind of, we, we propel it out. There's another word that I forgot to show you. It's this word universe. Universe spelled a little differently. There it is. And what universe means is this, that everything used, used to indicate a, a person has knowledge only of him or herself. The universe consists only of them. And really the heart, I think, of sin is that, is that the world revolves around me. It revolves around me that, and, and we hear this, that the sinful nature, as Paul's describing, that, that all of it is it's within us, and this desire that we would follow whatever we want in our inclinations, in our passions, in our lusts that we have. And at the heart of it is this, this refusal to obey God. And one author I read this week basically says it's, it's insurrection. We have this rebellious nature inside of us. Isaiah talks about it this way. All of us are like sheep. We have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own path. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now all of us have gone astray from God. We've all followed these sinful inclinations or this nature inside of us. And in my way, my place that I've maybe have gone after these, these natures, maybe that's intoxication. For you, it might be accumulation. For somebody else, it might be religious dedication, or maybe still others today, it might be seeking after stimulation. But the truth is that, that none of us are righteous, not one of us, that we all have gone our own way, we've all followed our sinful desires. In fact, Paul talks about it personally. He says, listen, hey, the truth is this, that Christ came to save sinners. And I love this part, he says, I am the worst. I am the worst. Now, there's a song that you can't think of the word grace without thinking of the song what? Amazing Grace. It's a song that we sing. uh, We've been singing for a long time, and I love to hear it in in various places. The very first verse of the song is what? Amazing Grace. What is it? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not like you, (laughs) Like me, a wretch like me. And the effects of sin, we see it everywhere. It separates us from God, it's just darkness. There's evil that comes when when sin comes. And you can paint the walls of the cave as much as you would like, and you can try to numb as much as you would like, but you can't get away from what sin does. It destroys, it kills and it causes eventually death. So how do we escape it? How do we get away from the effects of sin? How do we get free from the burden and the effects of of what this causes in our hearts and our life? Now, if you were to sit down with most people, if you were to ask somebody to go to lunch this week at your office, and you would sit down with them and say, let me ask you this, do you believe in heaven? Just just co-worker, do you believe in heaven? Now, I think if you brought up that subject, they would probably try to immediately switch the subject, because we don't like to talk about that stuff, right? Let's talk about sports. Let's talk about even politics. Let's talk about something else, but let's don't talk about that, okay? And so, do you believe in heaven would be a question maybe you could ask, and in the middle of that, the next question probably or could be, do you think you're going to heaven? Do you think you're going to heaven? And I think, this is just my guess, I just stats tell us that most people believe in heaven. Most people in the United States believe in heaven, the majority of people. And most people believe that they're going to heaven, okay? Now, why do you think, maybe the next question, why do you think you're going to heaven? And I think the answer, I think for most people would come to be something like this, because I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm a good person, I, I'm a good person. I do good things. I, I've heard it in, in, in places like funerals before. He was a good person. She was a good person. That's why they're in heaven. But the question I've had in my life, and, and, and maybe as I, you know, when I was really seeking God and, and really trying to figure all this out, the question I had was this How good do you have to be of a person to go to heaven? I mean, what's the standard? How do you measure that? How good does ha- good have to be to get to heaven? I mean, is it like, I mean, we're used to these kind of systems in America. I mean, it, as students, we know what's passing and failing these days. Is it like 70%? 60? 70? All right, so 70, you have to be 70% good and, and just 30% bad, and that's the passing grade that gets you into heaven? Or is it like the standard much higher, like 80%? 80% good, 90% good? I mean, what's the line? Because if, if this is the standard to get us there, I think we should become pretty familiar with what that is, Okay. Or is God like, you just have to be like 13% good? And that's the mercy God that we love, okay? Just that's that's good enough. But but here's, I, I think, you know, and I, I kind of had this image as a scale. You know, what how many good deeds do I have to, to do to outweigh the bad deeds and the sin in my life? And the question is, how many of those good deeds, how many of those things would I have to do to outweigh the the, the sin that's there? There was a British conference once, and it was about comparing religions and about how Christianity stacked up against other religions of the world. And there was a group that, they kind of, a side conversation that was happening, and it was one that got later on into the night, and they were asking that question. And And basically somebody threw out, well, is it... The incarnation, the fact that Jesus came to earth, is that what separates Christianity? And others would, you know, they argued, no, that, you know, there's other religions that would argue that there have been gods that have come in human form. Well, well what about resurrection from the dead? I mean, is that unique to Christianity? Well, there's, there's some other religions that, that believe that as well, coming back in different forms and different places and different things. This gentleman, you might have heard of him, his name is C.S. Lewis. He kind of wanders into this conversation, and he throws out this, you know, what's the rumpus about, he says. I don't know if that was with an accent, but it sounds like it was. What is this rumpus about? And uh, think Downton or Downtown Abbey. And uh, he throws that out there, and they, they say, well, we're trying to figure this out. And he said, well, that's easy. That's easy. There's one thing that, that separates us. It's grace. It's grace. It's the fact that love comes to us free, no strings attached, and it seems to go against every single instinct in humanity. Now, if you look at other religions, the Buddhist, the Eightfold Path, you know, the, the Hindus' doctrine of karma or karma, or Muslims, the code of code of law, each one offers a way to earn approval. And only Christianity dares to make the statement that God's unconditional love is what rescues us. We cannot reduce following Jesus Christ to religion and to what we can do. It strips it of its power completely. Now, this word religion, in some ways, has become kind of a bad word, hasn't it, in the last few years? I was reading a book. Some of you guys have read uh, the author Kyle uh, Eidelman. And he gives kind of a breakdown of, of what's maybe some comparison as we think about the word religion. And I even like this definition he uses. He says, our attempt to earn God's favor by following rules and regulations." If we were to sum up what, in general, religion means versus grace. And he even gives a chart, and I think it's, it's pretty accurate. So we'll take a look at that. There's some key words to religion. Religion is all about doing. I've got to do, 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 and be, 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 do, be, do, be, do to become. That was a song, that was a joke. I thought it was gonna be a lot funnier than that but it wasn't. Uh, religion is about, oh, what you do, but, but grace is about what's been done for us. We celebrated that in a big time way last week, but we celebrated every single Sunday, what has been done for us through the, the cross. The focus of religion is oftentimes on the outward. Grace is all about the inward. If you want to read a scathing passage from Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 23, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees that are so focused on the outside that they are not paying attention to the inside. In fact, he gives this, this, this image of a, a cup, and maybe you've had a cup like this before in your cabinet, where it's like you worry about cleaning the outside of the cup. I don't know if you've ever poured something in a cup full of maybe dust and mildew. You don't even think about the inside. You don't even clean out the inside of the cup. So this focus on the the inward or the outward instead of the inward. While grace does the opposite. The foundation of of religion is all about rules. The foundation of grace is all about, it's all about grace. It's about this this gift from God. The the motivation for religion in general is this controlling through shame. Controlling through shame. While grace is all about gratitude, which encourages holiness. I heard a story once by a pastor, his name actually was Matt as well, and uh, he shared this story about when he was in a seminary, and he went, it uh, was, was there at seminary with, with some friends, they were going to get ready to go to a Christian concert, and uh, they had befriended a, a woman uh, through just connections, a woman that was a, a single mom, and she was really... Not new to, to faith, or she didn't know much about faith at all, but this group was trying to encourage her in that. They invite her to come to this concert. They go to the concert. It, it's a great atmosphere, and they, they, it's focused on college students. At the end of the concert, is in end the music time, there was a speaker that came up, a pastor that came up. And the pastor's topic of that, that night was all about sex. And it was all about why that you should save yourself from marriage, and as he approached the topic, he did it in a way full of a lot of, of finger pointing uh, was the, kind of the, the, the theme for the, the sermon. Beginning of the sermon, he took this rose and he said, I want you to pass this rose around to everyone there. And they just began to pass the rose. You just see the rose just going around the, the, the concert scene around the, the room. And as this, this pastor is talking about why you shouldn't and, and, and this and that and talked about STDs and, and it just had this feeling of the whole time. And you, Matt said he looked over at this woman that they had brought, this friend, and she would not even make eye contact with anyone around her. Her head was just lowered in shame. She didn't want to look up, and at several times she, he just saw the, 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 the back and the shoulders go up from a, a crying motion. And he just, just feel this, this thing coming up inside of him. At the end of the talk, the, the speaker he grabs this rose, and as you can imagine, in a, in a place full of, of kids, it, this rose got passed around, and it was broken, and the, the petals had all kind of come off everywhere, and it just, was, it just was a mess. And he said, this is why. This is why you don't. Do you think anyone will want this broken rose? Do you think anybody would want this? And that time... Matt said he just wanted to scream out, yes, Jesus does. This is why Jesus came. He came to take the broken and to restore. He came to love those who feel unloved. He came to give hope and to rescue. That is exactly why Jesus came. He came to help those who are broken. Shame, folks, does not work grace is what saves grace is what saves and what happens in religion it creates this fear of fear and frustration what grace does is it gives freedom it gives freedom the outcome of of religion oftentimes is these these feelings of pride or, or guilt the opposite while grace the outcome it produces is love for god And love for others. Let's keep reading. This is the best part of this Ephesians passage. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for He raised up from the dead along with Christ, raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation, not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Grace, it is a gift. A gift. I have a gift. Any kids here that are awake? Any kids here awake? Jacob, I have a gift for you. Right here. I'm going to give away what the gift is. All right, you can open it. It's ice cream. I love ice cream. It's Cold Stone, uh, and it's a gift certificate to there. I hope that you can enjoy that. Uh, it's Especially, I like the Reese's Pieces uh, that you put in, mush into the, it's good stuff. Now, if I were to ask my friend Jacob to, hey, Jacob, after service, uh, to get that gift, I want you to clean up this mess that I've made up here, and... These folks out here are really messy. They leave their worship folders. I want you to clean this whole place, and the gift ship gets yours. That's not a gift any longer, is it? No, it's a job, okay? It's a job. Grace is not something that you can earn. It's not something that, well, if I do this, this, and that. No, it's just a flat gift. That's what he's telling us. It's a gift from God. I was uh, in my middle, this is going to be hard to believe, but I played middle school basketball uh, and I was good, okay? I was, I don't mean to brag, but I was, okay, there it is. Uh, my ninth grade year, I went to high school and I, I tried out for the basketball team and I didn't make it. I went to that list, I don't know how they do it now, but there was a list that was posted, there were 12 names, I went to that list about, about 10 times and my name was not on the list, Okay devastated I was, devastated, but reality was if I could rewind to that uh, tryout, and as, as I was looking around, I knew I wasn't one of the best 12 basketball players that were there. I mean, there were probably 100 or so kids, and I, there was a feeling inside of me that I knew, and it was, <laughs> uh, my name was on that list, it would have been, not Grace, it would have been a miracle, uh, and something, yeah, something happened to me when I saw my name not on the list I, a fire lit inside of me. Okay. And like, I could hear like eye of the tiger in my head. And I was like, I am determined 365 this next year is my life is basketball. I'm dribbling a basketball. I was flipping a basketball in the air. I was doing everything. I was watching videos on basketball. I went to camp on basketball. I even like, I saw a movie where they like the guy like ate the raw eggs. And I was like, that somehow is going to help you in some way raw eggs, baby, uh, whatever it takes, and I was, I mean, the best basketball I've ever played was in the 10th grade, because I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that when I showed up at that tryout, I was making the team, and I did. My name was on the list, and I didn't even have to look. I knew that it was going to be on the list, because as I looked around the tryouts, I said, I am one of the best basketball players. Maybe not the best, but I'm at least one of the top 12 here, Okay. Now why do we like works-based faith so much? Because it's full of control and it's full of credit. I can control and I can take credit, okay? I loved taking credit for that. When I wore my jacket with the, the letter on it, I was like, "Look what I did. Look what I have I have made fire. I have done this." Right? We like to be able to control something and to take credit for it. And, and, and and grace takes that off the, the table. It's not something that you can control. It's not something that you can take, take credit for. Grace isn't up to the one who receives it, but the one who gives it. Grace isn't up to the one who receives it. It's up to the one who gives it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, or last week, we talked about a lot about the cross, obviously, and, and, and Jesus' sacrifice for us. Do you remember, he wasn't alone. There were three crosses they were, they were up that day. And who was, who was with him? Now, I oftentimes learn, learn new things about scripture. For, for some reason in my mind, I don't know if I just always thought this. Maybe you thought the same thing. Two thieves on the cross. But scripture actually doesn't use the word thief. Have you ever noticed that? L- let's take a look at it real quick. It's Luke 23, 32 and 33. It says, two other men both... Criminals. They're both criminals. Now, this word, I, I did some digging because when I find out something like that, I'm like, man, I, that, that's new to me. I didn't know that. Well, what does this word criminal mean? It's not someone who just has stolen something. In fact, it doesn't apply that. The word would probably mean more like a pirate, okay? And, and by pirate, I mean someone that is a career criminal, the person that has given their life to evil deeds. And in that time in the Roman era, uh, when someone would do something bad, they would try to basically use them for slave labor. Go out to the rock fields, go out to the you know, you need somebody to oar to those boats. You know, we use you for labor if you've been uh, caught in, in something. And so that's basically was their job if you were caught in this 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 place. But for this word, this word for criminal, it was someone that was hopeless. They don't even trust you to, to break up rocks or to row a boat. That's how bad you've been. You've just, you're just not even usable. And that's where you get to the place where you go to the cross. And so what's the, the story here? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, among along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now, if we, we skip down a few verses of 39, it says this, one of the criminals, you remember this part, hung there, hurled insults at him. So one of the men, they said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So this guy just continued his life, he's already been living, of insulting and hurting and, and, and belittling others. But the other criminal, what did he do? He rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Did this man, did he do enough good deeds to earn salvation? Can I remind you? He was on a cross at this point, okay? Did he do enough good? No, he couldn't have. But what did he do? He acknowledged his sin. He acknowledged who is the maker of all, the creator. He acknowledged who is truly God. And his faith in that moment, what did it do? It saved him. His faith saved him in that moment. How do you know for sure that you are going to heaven. The same thing that the thief did that day. The same thing that the thief did. October 13th, 29 days after they were underground. Or 69 days after they were underground. Almost, is that two months? 69 days after they were underground. A, a tunnel, the third att- attempt, the tunnel was, was bored into the ground and a capsule. Remember, do you, did you watch that scene that day? They, they put this capsule down into the ground, and they had someone actually in the capsule that would go down 2,300 feet into the ground. Is that seven football fields? Down, down, down to where these 33 were there. And what happened? At, at Florencio Avelos, 31, was the first one to come out. He hugs his young son. And the president of Chile was there as well. You know those politicians, they can't miss an opportunity like that. Next, it was Mario. Do you remember Mario? He was the guy that was high-fiving everyone, and he was leading these chants that were there. The celebrations with family that had been camped out there for weeks and weeks and weeks had been there hoping and hoping that maybe we'd be able to rescue. And there were others, like Enrique. There was even one gentleman, maybe you remember this story, his name was Yanni. He was greeted by not one uh, woman, but... But two uh, women, uh, one his wife and one another young lady, uh, and they didn't know about each other. And so he was one of the last ones to come out that day. <laughs> I love what one of the guys said as he came up. He said this, we were down there, one of the men that's, that was close to God, I was, when we were down there, I was with God and I was with the devil. And God took me. God took me, God saved me. Grace doesn't depend on the goodness of the receiver, but the goodness of the giver. Grace doesn't depend on the perfection of the receiver, but on the faithfulness of God. And what does he ask us to do? Can I tell you, I went through the the Wikipedia page, the Google pages, there was never a, a report of any of these guys saying, send down shovels. We're going to dig our way out of this. N- didn't happen. It was only because they, the dependency on the rescuers, and they stepped into a capsule because that's what you need to do, is step into faith, and they were rescued, and they were rescued. So today, as we get ready to leave, I hear things like this sometimes, and maybe you've heard this before. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? This word from the Lord. I, uh, I love to go to a coffee shop, it's on Barker Cypress, it's called Plum Coffee, and it's a throwback coffee place, uh, in that it plays old music uh, from the 60s and the 50s, uh, and there's all kinds of things from different eras that are there, mostly a lot of older things, like uh, phones, that you actually, rotary phones, do you remember those? And various games from the 60s and 50s, and it just, it just kind of feels like you're in that place again. And they have pictures from magazines and, and different places. And there's one picture that I always find when I go in there. It's this picture uh, right here. Come to Sunday school. Enjoy our picture Bible with us. Now, a couple of things I like about this is like, here's the big drawing card. right? Come to our church. We have a picture Bible. Ooh. You know, that's how we we're going to get the folks to church there. Come to Sunday school, enjoy our picture Bible. I think they're on something here. People don't appreciate, understand, realize the light bulb doesn't come on for folks just by hearing. They've got to see it. They've got to see it. They've got to experience it. And as we look in the next few weeks, there's some stories from Jesus Jesus uses the word grace and talks about it, but he was more into painting pictures for people and showing pictures. And the ultimate picture that he gave us of what grace look, looks like was the self-sacrifice that we celebrated last week, but he showed people what this grace looks like. In a couple of weeks, and what we do here at our church, uh, if you're new to us, when we have a baptism... You have permission to do that now. You can grab those. The reason why, yeah, you can keep it. The reason why we do this uh, is when we have baptism, the reason why we do this is because I think it should be a celebration when people get baptized. I think there should be hooping and hollering. I think that's what happens in heaven when, when we come to faith in Christ. But the reason why we do that when somebody comes out of the water is not to celebrate. We want to encourage a person or a a student, and we, we do that. But this is a celebration of grace. This is a celebration of people that were dead and are now alive in Christ Jesus. But this celebration shouldn't just happen on baptism days. It shouldn't just happen on Easter. It should happen all the time. We should be a people of gratitude. So our response to grace, it's gratitude. It's thankfulness lived out in front of people. Some other way that we can respond to God's love, by seeking growth. Paul says it this way too. You know, should we keep on sinning? Because some of you are maybe thinking this. Those of us that have grown up in church all along, you need to not just talk about grace. You need to talk about some truth too, okay? We're not just grace people, we're truth people. Right? And Paul talks about that. He says, Listen, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more His wonderful grace? He says this Of course not. Sin destroys, folks. And we should celebrate grace, but sin destroys hearts and destroys lives. And so, what should we do? We should fight against sin through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, who enables us to do what we didn't think that we can do and overcome sin. And since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it, he says. So it's this encouragement to say, keep fighting, keep celebrating grace, and God will give us freedom in that. And the next way is this, to reciprocate his love and grace to others. Here's the assignment for this week. Show grace to someone out in the world. We get opportunities all the time, you're going to leave this place today and you're going to have a lot of opportunities as you get in your car and you go to a little place called 290. It is just like Gray Central there, okay? <laughs> we do. It's that moment that you're like, you've been in that line of 50 cars and that one car goes right by, past everybody and is like, honk, Kong, can I get in? And they are like, no, baby. Uh, you need to go to the back of the line. Here's your assignment. Let them in. Let them in. What? They did not earn that place. I've been here for 10 minutes. Grace. Gra- what? If you don't give grace, then you don't get grace. Not get it like, like I get it from God. It's not only that. It's like you don't get it. Like you haven't figured it out yet. That you didn't deserve it. And so we give it to others. And so as hard as that's gonna be, I challenge you to do that. And maybe it's a little harder in other places, like your house, with your family, with sisters and brothers that are hard to be graceful with sometimes, with husbands that's hard to show grace with sometimes, with wives, show grace to others as an act of saying, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Can you pray with me? God, you're good to us. Lord, I pray that, God, that we would get this. Lord, that I would get this, that as we dive into an ocean of grace, because that's what you offer, not a kiddie pool, but an ocean of grace. God, I pray that we would reciprocate that love. God, that we would celebrate you with gratitude. Lord, we would do that with our lives, with our words, with everything that we do, God. We are so, so thankful Lord, that it's nothing that we can do because, God, I I think as I talk to friends that have been on the same spiritual journey that I have, God, we realize pretty quickly there's no good thing that we can do to get that, to get salvation. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Shame doesn't work. Works doesn't work. It's only grace and love. God, I pray that we would step into that. Lord, I pray for the person today that is this, feels the condemnation of the past. They feel like the rose today. God, I pray that they would experience your freedom like they have never experienced before. And they would all be able to point, every one of us, every story in this room, because we've all been that rose to a certain place before. We've all wondered, God, that we would be able to raise our hands and we would be able to point to the one that has given us freedom and grace and love and eternity and hope, and purpose, Lord. God, help us in those situations that seems so difficult to extend grace. Lord, help us to have the power through your spirit to do it. Lord, we love you. We celebrate you today. We celebrate the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we love you. We lift these things in your name, amen. Would you join us and sing?